I think we're just going to get started because we have a number of people joining by Zoom as well. Um, so that's one of the nice things about some of our professional development events. We can Zoom people in either from across campus or from across other locations in Michigan State, across the state. So Flint, Grand Rapids, and some of our extension campuses will often Zoom in. So um, I just, I'm Barbara Roberts. I'm the director of the Work-Life Office, and I'm kind of filling in today for John Girdwood, who is stranded in Flint due to, I think, an accident on the highway. There was a, they closed the highway, so he's on the other side of it. And uh, so those of us who are here are forging ahead. Um, and I'd just like to tell you a little bit about the Work-Life Office, because I have to you know, take a minute to have our platform here. Um, we're just down the hall, and the Work-Life Office is here to help you put together all of the pieces of work and family and personal lives that make it fit together better so that you can be the best person you can be in all of your lives, both on campus, off campus, and in your leisure time. So if you have issues about any of those kind of things, family care, elder care, financial questions, how to navigate the community, how to connect with communities that you're looking to be closer to, come and visit us. Jamie does consultations. Um, she's happy to take them. You can request them online or call. And John does all of our educational programming and research. And I just kind of watch them do a great job from above. So <laughs> it's rolling out really well. <clears throat> so I just want to take this opportunity to thank our speakers who are coming to talk to us today about first-time home buying. I am a seventh-time home buyer. <laughs> just completed that purchase and sale in October. Yes. And we're going to go on to the market selling soon. So I can tell you that it's a good thing to have lots of information going into it. There's a lot to learn, and these guys are going to help you with that. And it's also, it also shouldn't be a frightening thing. It should be a really fun and exciting thing to buy your first home. So I'm going to leave you in their hands and uh, hopefully turn this experience of first-time home buying into a wonderful adventure. So we have, <clears throat> sorry, Matt Thornton and Courtney Miner and uh, Elvin Caldwell, who are going to help you um, talk about it from a real estate perspective, things that you should know, things to look out for, I'm sure, and uh, how to make this a wonderful experience. And I'm going to leave you with them. If you need anything, I'm just down the hall. And Shadell, our student, uh, is going to help us get through the logistics today. She helped us with all the setup, she and Megan. Um, so the whole team kind of pulled together and said, let's buy a house. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very Thank much. Let's give up our leader. All right. Good afternoon. All right. So we just want to talk a little bit about, of course, the mortgage piece of buying a home. And of course, Alvin will come and talk about the realtor perspective. And then Matt will also follow up with the insurance part. Uh, all key roles are all key parts in buying a home. So we just want to really discuss on a high level on what to expect in the process. And my piece is going to be on the mortgage lending. I'm a mortgage loan originator uh, from the state of credit union. So we'll talk a little bit on a high level. And if there's any questions at the end or even offline, Definitely please feel free to give me a call. I'll leave some cards behind as well if you want to contact me offline. So just trying to jump right in. Marriage and uh, buying a home. I promise this is not a marriage seminar, but there are some similarities when you think about the long-term commitment. So before you say I do, careful thought, planning, and consideration has to go into this decision. You don't want to jump into it without doing some research, without kind of finding out whether or not this is going to be a good fit for you and your lifestyle, whether or not you're going to be compatible for it. You have to consider your future goals, your lifestyle that you like to live. Do you like to travel often? Do you like to see the world? Do you like to not be at home and tending to the things of the home itself? Those are things you want to think about. Of course, there's several steps for buying a home. And certainly for this presentation, we've kind of condensed it down just to give you a list of some nuggets to kind of take with you. You want to check your credit. 
uh, utilize the free credit report options to determine where you stand uh, with your credit. The minimum credit score for most mortgage programs is going to start at around a 620. Now, there's a caveat to that. And I'll get into that here in a little bit. But annualcreditreport.com is a good resource, a good resource to use. Now, when you pull your credit through annualcreditreport.com, it's not going to give you your score. But a lot of times, I can look at a report without the scores, look at your payment history, look at what's on there, if there's any public items like judgments, collections, things of that sort, and have a pretty good indication of where your credit's probably going to be. TransUnion, pulling it directly from the three credit bureaus is always good. TransUnion, Equifax, Experian. I believe you can get a three score uh, hit through all three of those bureaus for about $35. And I would recommend doing that maybe once a year. It's a small investment and you just never know what can be on your credit that uh, you may or may not be aware of. So, Credit Karma is a good tool to use. I put an asterisk by it because it always, whenever I'm counseling a borrower, I it's always going to be different when you actually have a hard inquiry, but it's a good barometer to use to get an idea of where you might stand. Next up, getting pre-qualified. Contact your trusted financial institution. We'll help you determine how much house you can afford. Of course, we'll use your three bureaus that we talked about. We're going to pull all three credit bureaus for your mortgage application, and we take the middle score out of the three to determine your pricing and eligibility. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that Yes, it's always going to be different between the three scores. I've seen a variance of over 100 points. It just depends on who's reporting what at what time. It's just all sorts of things that go into that. But we do take the middle score to determine your pricing and eligibility for that mortgage. So, yes, it could happen to where your middle score is a 619, your high score is a 650, and your low score is a 570. And that may uh, be problematic with getting pre-approved for a mortgage. Debt to income ratio. We simply add up all your monthly debts, any loans that you have that you're paying on, student loans, any credit card minimum payments, auto loan payments, personal loan payments, and we have a new proposed mortgage payment. And then we divide that by your gross monthly income before Uncle Sam gets his hand on your money for taxes. That gives us your debt to income ratio. A good debt to income ratio for mortgages should be around 45% or less. Now, have I seen approvals for higher than 45%? Yes, but not all the time. So it's just one thing for from a comfort level standpoint that you definitely want to know, even though that the books or the numbers may say you can afford this mortgage, you know what expenses you have that don't appear in your credit card or your credit report rather. So you have to take those things into account. You know, if your lifestyle says, hey, you know what? I like to shop. I like to spend $300 a month and I'm not changing that buying clothes and shoes and purses or whatever the case may be. So you have to keep those things in mind. Are you ready for that change? The question I usually like to ask if somebody's renting right now, I usually start with that. Are you renting? Are you paying rent? How much is your monthly rent payment? Are you comfortable with that monthly rent payment? Do you want to go higher for mortgage? Do you want to go lower than that rent payment? Using that as a jumpstart to kind of determine what's going to be comfortable for you. Because you have to factor in your property taxes, homeowners insurance, and PMI, which we'll get into that here later, to determine whether or not that payment is going to get you enough house that you desire. Of course, qualified down payment and closing costs. So different programs have different down payment closing cost requirements, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. What else is on the credit that uh, could actually impact your ability to get pre-approved? 
absence of open collections, delinquencies, judgments. Uh, now, collections, because you have a collection on your credit report, does not mean you can't get a mortgage. It's just depending on the actual dollar amount of the collection item on there, if it's less than $2,000, you may be okay. But if it's medical, we don't pay a whole lot of attention to that. I mean, it's on there. Yeah, we encourage you to get that reconciled one way or another. But anything that has to do with your living expenses, such as consumer energy collections, water, water, and light, when we see those on the credit report, I mean, those are direct housing expenses to where, you know, if you're showing a pattern of not paying those when you're renting, then that pattern could continue when you own a home. What happens when you stop paying your light bill and your water bill when you're at home? Well, I know they have programs to prevent shutoff, but, you know, eventually, who knows, maybe that home could be inhabitable if you're not, if your utilities are not. Um, of judgments, one thing to keep in mind on those two, if a judgment is on your credit report, does not necessarily mean you can't get a mortgage either, but it does drag your score down. So you want to make sure that if you have a judgment in place, that you have a three-month history of a payment agreement with the collector on that judgment. That must be documented before you can get a mortgage. Chapter 7 bankruptcy has to be discharged for two years with reestablished credit for FHA. Four years for a conventional. Chapter 13, or Chapter 7 is probably going to be the most common uh, form of bankruptcy, but Chapter 13, same thing, two years there. Foreclosures and short sales have to be discharged for at least three years for FHA and RD, Rural Development. We'll get into the program acronyms here in a moment. Seven years for conventional. What's included in your monthly mortgage payment? Now, we talked a little bit about PMI. So you have your principal, your interest, taxes, and insurance. PMI, private mortgage insurance, that says primary, there's different names for it, but anytime you have less than 20% down payment, you're required to pay PMI on your mortgage. So what is PMI? I like to say it really doesn't do anything for you as the borrower. The lenders just assess it to the loan to help protect themselves and cushion themselves in case you were to default on that mortgage. So this is in addition to paying your homeowner's insurance. So they're not the same. It's not a payment protection for you in that mortgage. Again, it just protects the lender. Homeowner's insurance. If you put less than 20% down payment, you're required to include your homeowner's insurance and property taxes in your escrow with your monthly mortgage payment. Flood insurance. Matt will get into that in his presentation too later on, but it's required where there's areas that are designated in flood zones. And, um, it's one thing to kind of think about when you're looking for a home of whether or not it's in a flood zone. Because as Matt will probably allude to, it's not cheap for flood insurance. So that's something to consider. So where can I get a down payment? What are possible sources of down payment? Well, checking and savings is always easiest if you're fortunate enough to have the necessary funds for a down payment and closing costs in your checking and savings account that have been there for at least a couple of months. Always best. You can use a requalified retirement plan, borrow against your 401k, that's acceptable. Uh, we may have to use your repayment plan or as far as your loan repayment and include that into your debt to income ratio that we talked about a couple of slides earlier, just to make sure it's not going to affect your ability to repay that loan back. Investment, brokerage account. You can get a gift from a relative, such as Aunt May. But that look on Matt May's face is because we're going to ask Aunt May for her statements for the last two months as well when you ask her for a gift for buying a home. 
we want to make sure that her money comes from a qualified or documented source as well. You can use borrowed from, excuse me, eligible sources such as real estate. If you have a home equity loan, you can, you can also use that as a qualified source of down payment and closing costs. There are some different government city grant programs. Um, you kind of have to check and we can talk about that offline if you're interested to see if you qualify. There are some pros and cons to those as well. So on a high level, just a program comparison between the programs. You have conventional, FHA, rural development, and VA for the Veterans Administration. So conventional, just a side-by-side -side comparison. You see the three, excuse me, the down payment requirement for a conventional. You can do as little as 3% down for first-time home buyers and as little as 5% down. So the misnomer is that with many, that conventional, you have to put 20% down. That's not necessarily the case. You can go as little as 3% for a first time. Repeat home buyers, 5% down conventional. FHA, 3.5% down payment. Road development, no down payment. Now, it's specific to the area in which you're buying a home, which we'll get into that a little bit later down the chart. VA, 0% down payment with those as well. And you can also ask the seller to pay some of your closing costs. The guidelines cap it for conventional at 3% of your purchase price towards your closing costs. So on a $100,000 purchase price, 3% would be $3,000 towards your closing costs is what they can pay on the conventional. Uh, typically, your closing costs shouldn't exceed uh, about $3,500 for the most part on an FHA loan. But if they do on an FHA, it would cover that because you can technically get up to 6%. Same thing with rural development and VA. Give funds are allowed on all those programs. Minimum credit score requirement, 620 for all of those programs. Now, I put asterisks by those because one thing to keep in mind with conventional, especially, anything under a 640, as a matter of actually in, with FHA, the same thing, anything under a 640, you're going to have to pay an additional 1% of the purchase price, additional and closing costs because of the lower FICO score. So, yes, can you get approved at 620 and get a mortgage? Yes, we do it all the time, but it costs you more. Keep that in mind. PMI structure, we talked a little bit about that in the earlier slide. Borrow can request to remove PMI when the balance is less than 80% of the original purchase price. With conventional, with FHA, you're going to have PMI for the life of the loan until you pay it off, refinance it, sell the home. Rural development, there's no PMI. However, the USDA, this is their program. They have a monthly funding fee. And for the most part, it's less than you would have to pay for PMI for conventional or FHA. Maybe you didn't capture it on. But anyway, below that, Essentially, it talks a little bit about rural development as far as where you can actually buy the home. Any one of these programs, you can buy a home anywhere. Rural development, it's specific to a general area. That property has to be designated in a rural development zone. There are maps that we can actually send you to determine whether or not a property fits the bill uh, to qualify for rural development. That is a program through the USDA Okay, we talked a little bit about VA, so I won't go into that, but the nice thing about that program for the veterans who have served or are active in the military and have a certificate of eligibility is that you can go 100% of the loan to value, which means zero down payment and no PMI, which is nice about it as well. So what is your lender's role? 
work to get you pre-qualified, kind of educate you on the programs, determine which one is best going to fit your needs and your personal goals and where you are in terms of assets and your credit. Uh, everybody may not qualify for conventional. Everybody may not qualify for FHA, or it may not be the best fit for you. So there may not be a cookie cutter solution for you. We always tailor towards where you are, what you're looking for, and what your goals are. We educate you in the programs, facilitate signatures on various disclosures, provide convenient electronic signing for streamlined processing, and guide you from start to finish with the mortgage loan process. First step, pre-qualification. You get your letter from us, you search for a home. Then once you find a home, get an accepted offer. Then comes processing, underwriting, closing, move in. Any questions? But we'll actually probably save those towards the end of the presentation when we're all done. But uh, that's all I have for this presentation. Again, if you have any questions after the fact, I'll leave some business cards and please feel free to reach out to me and let me know. Thank you, Courtney. So after you've found Courtney and you've got pre-qualified through his great services, now it's time to call me, the realtor. You call Caldwell, I'm with Community Realtor. And we, uh, we specialize in helping you find a home, and also we specialize in building communities, whether so that's finding people investment properties, commercial development opportunities, we're all about community. Usually a home is usually a large asset. It's a lot of money. Uh, it's a big deal. You're going to be, uh, usually you're planting your flag. Usually I'm going to stay in this neighborhood. I'm kind of doing something towards stability. So owning a home is a big deal. And uh, with that said, it's finance, large mortgage, you're going to pay for it for about 10 to 30 years. You do not want to be like Macaulay Culkin. You don't want to be making this face by searching for a home alone. And that's why you find you a realtor to assist in the process. The role or uh, responsibility of a real estate agent and a realtor are similar, but a realtor is uh, we're authorized through the National Association of Realtors, and we have a higher ethical code that we, uh, that we abide by. So I, I encourage you to work with a realtor as a realtor, but nonetheless, Everyone who is a licensed Michigan salesperson is legal to do real estate, but realtors are kind of like the cream rises to the top. So you want to make sure they have that realtor and it has realtor and it has a little R. So it's an official uh, authorization that sells. And we have like different uh, ethical codes that we, we live by that are higher than that of real estate salespersons. So we, uh, the biggest thing for licensees is on both sides. It's to prevent discrimination or to pretty much to protect you, protect you from scams or uh, bad legal or anything that could jeopardize you financially or legally as you search for a home or as you execute documents to get you in that home. Uh, a big part of my role is to protect you. Uh, for instance, if the advertisement of a house is in a way that is uh, discriminatory, uh, I am able to uh, notice that language and we're able to uh, assess that language and we can work, find you a different a different home where we can find you a different seller that has a bit more different language that's conducive to everybody buying. So we look for clauses that discriminate against any of the protected groups in the United States, as well as gender and disability. Those are important to us. Uh, but my role as your agent is to always represent your interests. Uh, your interests are first, and that's whether those are uh, fiduciary or whether it's your real estate interests. Uh, for instance, if you're refinancing, also, my job is to keep you compliant. Uh, we want to make sure everything we're doing, everything you sign in is legal. Uh, first and foremost, we want to make sure it's legal. And then we want to make sure it is uh, 
appealing to your interests and your plans as a home buyer. Um, also, my job is to refer you not to anybody. You know, you might have, for instance, we may have a roof issue. I can't just call up my uncle who's great at it. You know, I may call him personally. But my job as a licensed realtor and as anybody who's licensed you're working with, I have to refer you to licensed professionals. And that's, for instance, if it could be a kitchen sink. And let's say uh, we can be getting ready to sell your home or you're buying a home and you got a question about it's to look like a leaky faucet. You know, we're going to have to have a licensed plumber come through and get an explanation on that faucet and get you an explanation in writing signed by a licensed individual. So that's part of my job is to make sure the folks that we put before you are compliant, legal, and professional. Uh, also, want to make sure we handle monies and everything in a timely manner. The rule for realtors, we try to do everything within 48 hours. You give me and for uh, EMB or cash deposits, we want to get those within 24 hours. So we have a, a stricter code make sure things are easy for you. She's telling me I need to do the shuffle. Which way? There you go. All right. <laughs> and then also confidentiality. If you're sharing things about me, whether it's about your home, about uh, different finances, it's my job to keep those things uh, confidential. You know, I don't want to be, you know, you might invite me to your family. Yeah, I heard they selling because they're moving. And your grandparents may say, moving? But it's my job to keep those things confidential unless you disclose otherwise. As a realtor license in Michigan, and that's the realtor uh, sign, and then also you have to be licensed to be a realtor. But you want to make sure your agent, whoever you're working with, I recommend you work with a realtor because it's a higher standard. Uh, but I, this is a little bit about myself. I provide you know, marketing and transaction services across Michigan. So I am able for you to call. My number is 810-624-7396. I'll give it out. I'm going to take the sign-in sheet. But call Caldwell if you have any questions. I just went over to Community Realty, so we're developing my marketing materials. I don't have them for you at this moment, but I'd love to take people's contact information, questions, or anything. So you got with Courtney, you know the roles and responsibility of a realtor. You call Caldwell from Community, and now we're, we're looking for your house. We want to protect your capital. You got pre-approved from Courtney. You got that gift from your Aunt May, which you have to pay back because it came from a legitimate source. So now let's go find you a house. And my biggest job when I'm finding you a house I want to protect your capital. You went out and did all the homework, pre-approval letters. We know you're walking around pre-approved with a couple hundred thousand, a hundred thousand to buy a house. We want to protect that. You did a, a lot of work for it. And the way I do that, we want to make sure that people who are what we call a target, so to speak, or people who usually almost get the short end of deals sometimes when it comes to like these experiences, we want to make sure we're protecting those folks. And it's all of the clauses that you'll see with additional language, such as people with poor credit who did get approved, we want them to feel that they should have the same professional service as that person who got approved with a 720. Because a pre-approval is a pre-approval. I want to help you with your home. And also, a target is homeowners who are in financial crisis. People may come to you, let me help you refinance, let me help you with this and that. But my job as a realtor, a licensed individual, is to get you legitimate individuals so you don't have to worry about these things and protect your capital as you go find that largest asset, that big investment, that house. Um, the biggest thing with working, it's like a marriage, because uh, we're going to have to spend time together. I'm going to have to call you. You're going to have to call me back. You're going to have to text me back. And, and working with the realtor is the same as working with your lender. We want honesty and communication. Now, if, if we're selling your house and you tell me, oh, the basement's been dry, and, and last week you had somebody come dry the basement, you know, a good realtor is going to ask the neighbors, hey, what's been going on at 406? And they'll tell me, oh, yeah, uh, the sewer people were there yesterday drying up the basement last week. 
because I knew you were coming this week. I'm going to find that out. Or, or maybe the person who's buying is going to find that out. And now we're going to be a step away from closing because we weren't honest in the communication. So everything is important, uh, whether it's uh, you had a window replaced. Anything, it's almost like talking to the doctor. You, you want to be honest about any and everything and fully disclose everything so we don't find out those things and create hiccups. Because the last thing you want to do is when you get an offer on and you go out of town, and it's like by the time I get back from Vegas, you know, I want to have this offer signed. But when I have to call you and say, hey, we did, we failed to disclose this, and now they're coming in with an invoice from uh, American sewers, and now it's, it's like we're lying, and now we have to rewrite a purchase agreement with a separate addendum. And that's going to push us back 20 more days. And so you don't want to do those things. So you want to just be honest in all communication, whether that's disclosures, your motivations to sell, history about the property, uh, your personal history, and any other facts, just all information we want to be honest so we can fully disclose the person that's buying or the person that's selling. Also, ask for timeliness and correspondence. Uh, you know, I, I try to work hard to get everything done in a 24, 48-hour time period. Now, if you're going to be away from your phone, once again, be honest. I'm skiing. I'm up north this week, and it's going to be hard for you to get signatures. And I can convey that to buyers or sellers. Say, hey, my client is up north skiing. It's going to be hard to get those signatures. So timeliness and kind of correspondence is something that we expect. Also, let someone know if you're working with someone. One of the biggest things as a realtor to be frustrated upon is to go pick you up, show you 50 homes, and then you say, oh, but I'm working with John. It's like, well, you know, we, we spent all this time together, and you didn't let me know that. And if you got somebody, let us know. Usually if a realtor asks, are you working with someone, we mean do you have a license, professional service agreement, with another person that's providing service to you. And if so, we want you to, you know, use that agreement. And if not, you can always talk to us about getting out of that agreement. And we can do that in a straightforward manner where everybody is mutually respected and everything is ethically done and legally correct. Uh, homework signatures and deadlines, uh, please follow up. If you got a question or if you need anything, we have to meet deadlines or the next step goes into question. So you saw the nice process he laid out from from showing the closing or from finding or getting pre-approved to closing, anytime we have a hiccup on anything, a deadline, it makes it, it takes, sometimes it can take weeks. So, you know, if you want that smooth process, make sure you're doing your part to follow up with homework deadlines. Uh, and then also the last thing is any formal agreements, they have to be in writing. So for instance, if we say we'll close, but we'll close when this place get new carpet. You know, we have to put that somewhere in the form of an addendum, or somewhere in a purchase, it has to be in language and writing before it can be a formal agreement. So if you're a realtor or anybody you're working with says, oh, don't worry about it, please worry about it. Please call Caldwell so we can get you in touch or anybody so we can get you in touch with someone who represents you. The things that folks usually say don't worry about, those are the things you want to worry about. So my, my encouragement to you is make sure all the agreements are in writing. So if you're looking to say, you know, oh, we can get that fixed, we'll be Okay, well, make sure you include that in the addendum. Make sure you include that in the purchase agreement. And then you want to make sure you check for those things before you sign them. Showing the closing. That's my job. I want to get you from showing the closing. And then we want to skip off in the sunset and live happily ever after. You can still call me for follow-up. Uh, and I mean that. We had a garage door opener on a lady uh, who bought a condo. And, uh, you know, my client sold the condo. Older lady bought the condo. And we talked about the garage door. She had a question. Two weeks after we closed on the deal, I told her, hey, call me if you have any questions. She said, hey, what about this garage door? I called a seller who sold it. He doesn't know where it's at. I said, well, don't worry about it. We'll find you one. So go to Realtor. 
you know, we'll follow up and make sure you get what you need after you close. And we want you to be happy in that place and you can refer some of your friends to us. But we want you to be prepared for note-taking when we go to show your property. Uh, we want you to be able to have questions or to be able to just bring your phone or a notepad, two-bedroom, three-bedroom. Because the worst thing is I want to call you the next day and we're trying to figure out what house we're talking about. So make sure, you know, you bring something that you can, you know, take notes with. We're comfortable clothes. You know, if you're coming from, you know, a nice black and white ball or something, maybe let's show the house or maybe let's look at the house the next day as opposed to trying to squeeze something in. Because sometimes these places may look good and that, you know, on the MLS, but then you get inside, it can be anything in any of the properties. We do, you know, ask for certain conditions when we show them. But once again, we're walking into homes that are simply, you know, we don't know what's in there. A lot of times with realtor, we'll check through 24 hours before, but just wear comfortable clothes, you know, as a rule of thumb when you're looking for property. Uh, all questions are good questions at any moment, at any moment. Don't ever feel like you're doing a walking tour when you're doing a, a walkthrough with a realtor. This is a working walk. So at any moment, you can say, hey, hold up. What's the deal with the radiator? And at any moment. So don't feel like, well, when we conclude, I'll bring my list of questions. No, if you have something or if something, you know, draws attention or a hunch, anything, all questions are good questions at the moment. And I'm going to squeeze in. And hunches, you know, if you got a hunch that something may not be right, that's a good something to bring up as well. Uh, have honest feedback. Uh, we pulled up to houses. I remember I pulled up with a client, and there was a, a dog next door, and we didn't even get out. She said, oh, I'm fine. I don't, you know, this is enough for me. Uh, and just be honest, because I would hate to walk through the house, and we walked through all this house, and then we'd spend 30 minutes in the house, and she said, well, I don't like it because uh, when we pulled up, I noticed the dog. And I was like, well, we didn't have to go in. So just, just be honest. And usually if you're working with somebody that you're comfortable with, it's, it's pretty easy to be honest. Like, hey, I'm not feeling this one, or hey, this, let's check out a different spot. So it's my rule of thumb. And lastly, keep all correspondence and documents. Uh, correspondence is to save an email. You know, a lot of times I save all of them because I don't clean out or monitor. I don't maintenance my email box. I got, she's laughing back there. She got them AOL emails still, <laughs> hot mails. I got you. I feel you. So keep all, keep all correspondence. Uh, you never know. Maybe after closing, something can happen. Uh, the realty, we keep stuff for about seven to ten years on file. It's sometimes even more than that. But you want to make sure you have yourself covered in the case of, you know, something uh, being disagreed or something being uh, not clear. And that's why I, I would remind you that everything must be in writing. And you want to keep that correspondence. And that's showing the closing. And with that said, after you talk to me, you got through Courtney, you caught Caldwell, well, we found you a good home. We got you to a closing table. Now let's ensure this asset that you all uh, created and that you all purchased. And you can do that with the great services of my client. I thank you all. <laughs> oh boy, the fun stuff. <laughs> um, don't want to have that look on your face, of course, with your new home in regards to making sure you're properly insured. Um, I'm going to basically be just covering the basics of how you want to cover your home, what's covered under the like basic insurance policy. And of course, like Courtney and Alvin said, just being transparent and communicating what you need to me, to whatever insurance agent that you decide that you want to go with. Because again, you don't want to have that look on your face if something does happen to you. Uh, so the basics, basic coverages of the house for your homeowner's insurance are going to be replacement costs for your home. So we go through do a replacement cost tool based on square footage, type of roof that you have, uh, type of flooring, just the basic bones of the house. 
And that's all. We put that information in. It builds out a replacement cost tool. Builds out, tells us what the houses would be if you had to build it from the ground up in regards to materials, labor, things like that. And in many policies, it accounts for inflation over time because, of course, your house is usually appreciating in value. Um, detached structures. So anything that's not directly attached to your house, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, personal property, your physical possessions that are in the house. Uh, loss of use coverage. So if you're not able to stay in your home for an extended period of time due to a claim. And then medical and personal liability coverage. And then I'll give you some bonus stuff that I didn't make slides for, which uh, Courtney was talking about with flood insurance. And then also uh, mechanical breakdown coverage. We'll talk a little bit about Sorry. Um, so market value versus replacement value. So when you're buying your house, when you're talking to Alvin, when you're talking to Courtney, you're uh, talking more market value. So the purchase price of the house, uh, what it's valued from looking at appraisal reports, fully executed, executed purchase contracts. It's an opinion is what's looked at. Versus replacement value, again, what I said before, it's based on the bones of the house, everything, the structure itself. So how much it would be to replace those hardwood floors how much it would be to replace the granite countertops that you put in the house. Um, and again, super important to be transparent about these things because if it's important to you, you want to make sure if something does happen to your home that it's covered and that you're going to get it replaced properly. And then with actual cash value, excuse me, I forgot that, actual cash value, the difference between replacement value and actual cash value. So replacement value is replacing it as brand new. It's, this uh, laptop was $500 to buy it five years ago. We're going to make sure you get $500 to replace that laptop to put you at where you were before. Um, actual cash value is the replacement cost minus depreciation. So you bought it five years ago. Not really sure how depreciation works with uh, laptops, probably pretty quick with how technology moves, but getting that value, what it would be worth after the five years. So detached structures. So we talked about the things that aren't directly attached to your house. So examples for those, fencings, swimming pools, she sheds and man caves, Detached garages, pole barns, which, you know, everybody has where in Michigan, it seems like, and gazebos. Um, with the breakdown of coverages, they're usually percentages of what the replacement cost is for your home. So let's just say your house is, comes in a replacement cost of $200,000. Uh, detached structures usually comes in at 10% of what that would be, so $20,000. But, of course, having a conversation with your insurance agent, um, if you feel like your man cave or she shed is worth more than $20,000, you know, just making sure to have, like, oh, I think it'd be $50,000 to rebuild that. That's up, always up for negotiation, making sure that we make those changes. But automatically, off-rip, it's usually going to be a 10, or excuse me, a 10% of what the actual replacement cost is for the house. Personal property. So, after paying for your homeowner's insurance deductible, personal property is uh, reimbursing you for anything that was damaged in the house. So, let's say, you know, worst-case scenario, knock on wood, you have a fire at your new home, and your clothing, everything is burned up. That ends up being about a 30% breakdown of what the replacement cost is for your home. So, again, being $20,000, uh, excuse me, $200,000 for your home, being $30,000, about $60,000 in uh, personal property coverage would be. But again, if you feel like you have more personal property, having those discussions. Um, examples again clothing, furniture, uh, electronics, appliances that are hardwired into your house, so like fridges, things like that would be covered. Um, with personal property, there's also specifics. So, example, if you have jewelry, your wedding wedding jewelry. Um, jewelry is covered up to $2,500 in most homeowner, homeowner's policies. But if you have grandma's emerald ring, that's worth more. Making sure that you have an appraisal for that, showing the actual value of that, and making sure it's accounted for on your homeowner's policy is super important. Um, same thing with antiques. 
So if you have an antique, getting it appraised, making sure to find out the value of it, and then communicating that to your uh, insurance agent. So loss of use coverage. Loss of use coverage is, if you're not able to stay at your home for an extended period of time, what would that expense be to you? So of course, having to rent a hotel, motel, um, meals outside of your house, all of that costs you more money. So making sure that you have that coverage in place, and I apologize, I flip numbers. Personal property ends up being about 60% of what your replacement cost is, and the loss of use is 30%. So again, that same number um, would be 60,000 here, and then with 200,000, 60%, 120. So if you start to exceed that amount, of course you have to come out of pocket, but making sure if you feel communicating with your insurance agent what coverage you think is needed, um, you know, how long, depends on how long you're gonna be out of your house. So if you have to rent an apartment, if it's like a total loss, having to find a new home and starting that process, it takes a while. So medical payments to others. So automatically, with any insurance policy that you're looking at for homeowners, it's built in at $1,000. So let's say I'm at your house, you're having a party, we're like, oh, we're having a great time. Uh, somebody rolls their ankle, needs to go to the emergency room. That's where this coverage comes into place, making sure that their medical payments are covered. Um, Let's say it goes a little bit above and beyond that. So that same person rolls their ankle, falls, hits their head, and says, hey, now I'm going to sue you because I'm suffering from migraines. Um, that's where the personal liability protection comes into place. And this is crucial not only with homeowners, but also with auto insurance and just insurance in general, because this is protecting your assets, protecting your home, protecting your 401k, savings, checking accounts, making sure that your wages aren't garnished. So making sure that the personal liability insurance is going to cover what your assets are very imperative, and again, communicating that to your insurance agent, very important. So if you feel like you have $500,000 in, in uh, assets, including house, 401ks, and the different things that I listed, you wanna make sure that it exceeds that amount, maybe bump it to a million, because you wanna protect your assets. You've worked too hard to make sure that you've got your house, that you have the things that you collected in your house, why risk it on something silly where somebody hurts themselves and being able to lose everything on a loss? So getting the weeds again, so with uh, flood insurance, like Courtney had said, flood insurance is all handled by the federal government, by FEMA, and I don't know from the zoo people where everybody's at, but everybody here knows the greater Lansing area, Okemos always floods out as soon as it rains. Uh, Potterville is another example of a huge floodplain where, you know, it's got to have that extra protection. You don't want your house to wash away, you don't want your stuff to wash away. So when you're getting a mortgage and you're getting coverage, um, checking again, where flood zones are, if it's mandatory to get flood insurance, is imperative. Um, when I've quoted flood insurance, it usually comes in anywhere from about $2,000 a year, and I've quoted up all the way to $5,000 a year. And you have to have that paid if you're in a flood zone, and if it's found to be in a flood zone. Um, equipment breakdown, also considered to be home warranty coverage. So that covers for furnaces, water heaters, actual appliances that are hardwired into the house that are a part of the house. Let's say, again, with that claim, something damaged, like your furnace was damaged because of the fire that happened. Maybe the furnace started the fire. That would also, you of course, have your replacement cost for your home, but then you'd have equipment breakdown to be able to cover for replacement furnace and different breakdowns there. So again, just making sure that you're communicating, talking to your professionals that you're dealing with. Um, of course, we're all licensed through the state of Michigan. You can always check on licenses of people that you're working with and making sure that they're communicating with you and having open-ended conversations about what's important to you. It's imperative. So I thank you. I appreciate your time.
you know, I did that pretty quickly. <laughs> but of course, yeah, we're here to field questions. So um, I guess this would be a great time if you have any questions in regard for Courtney or Alvin for myself about the insurance. Let's uh, go into that right now. And for questions, if you could repeat the question so it wasn't a mic and Courtney's questions get picked up on the audio, we'll provide the recording for everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll prime the pump, so I had a couple questions, um, but if, I'll start with the realtor, Evan, right? Elvin. Elvin? Yep. Okay, sorry. I think I went to high school with Evan Caldwell, actually. Oh, sweet. I, my apologies. Um, so my question is uh, parts of Michigan, neighborhoods, and locations. Yes. I personally live in Flint, and I got caught in traffic on the way there. My question is, uh, do realtors... Uh, are they better in certain areas than others? Do you cover all of Michigan? Yeah. Are you good in Flint as right. you are in Lansing? What's Absolutely. The, what's the so, uh, being a realtor, I'm able to write and look up information for the whole state of Michigan. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, we need to write our legislators. Michigan is the only state that does not allow reciprocity. So, I'm able to be licensed here in Michigan, but usually licenses can be licensed in Michigan and like New York City, which would be cool. But now speaking in terms of Michigan, I'm able to sell throughout, you know, all of the cities, counties in Michigan, here in Upper Peninsula. However, my access to the MLS is determined on local boards. Like right now, I have access to the greater land scenario of realtors. So as a realtor uh, at the national level, and then I'm a greater land scenario realtor. So I'm able to look up very detailed information when it comes to that. But in Flint, for instance, they're part of ECAR or r and which is another MLS. And MLS is multiple listing service. That's how we look up most of the information that's pertinent to your house, most of the facts and the details. Also, I can do that, but the information is hard to get, harder to get if you're not on those boards. But Community Realtor, Community Realty is a brokerage that allows their realtors to be active on other boards. So I'm, I too am from Flint, Michigan, uh, Southside, Shalon Street, Lapeer and Dory. Uh, that's just a Flint thing. But, uh, so um, I am looking to expand in Flint, but you have to have permission from the local board to be able to get that deep dive into the MLS to get that deep pertinent information. But realtors are, are licensed through the state and they can write up and do business in all of the state. Any other questions? Hunches, any question yeah. is a good question at any moment. Um, what is underwriting? Yeah, good question. So the underwriting piece is if you think about it from a consumer standpoint, like if you're going in to apply for all of them from your local institution. So you might be working with maybe an NSR. They're going to take your application. Am I good now? They might take the application and they're going to send it to the underwriter. Their job is to review your credentials, such as your income, like your assets. If you're putting an down payment, they want to make sure it's from Improved sources. They want to make sure that your <clears throat> your credit meets the criteria of the program, and also checking the other guidelines, making sure the home itself uh, meets the criteria after you get an appraisal of the program requirements. That's the underwriter's job. They're checking the guidelines against your credentials, against the credentials of the home, the guidelines itself. That's their job, and they ultimately approve the mortgage. And then on the insurance side with underwriting, they're making sure to look at the house, look at, again, like the loan information, the bones of the house to see if it's acceptable to be insured because if you have a giant hole in your roof, more likely to have a plane. 
or if there's a garage that's half leaning, the insurance company doesn't want to have to cover for a detached structure that's eventually going to fall over if you know a light breeze blows in, or you know we get a heavy snow like we just got. Um, so it's just a check and balance to make sure that if we're doing what we're doing for you, it's going to match up with what needs to happen. I have a question about insurance. Sure. I got our home insurance like ten years ago, I think. Yeah. I planted a bunch of trees. I bought a new shed. Uh, how, how do changes, what are, in general, what are the basic changes that I have to report, or are there things that are going to affect it, or is my insurance that I got 10 years ago still good now? Realistically, the insurance that you had 10 years ago isn't going to be, it's not going to be. You should definitely have a review six months to a year. I mean, your auto insurance is going to change. It renews every six months with most companies. Your homeowner's insurance renews every year. So you're going to get a renewal document within 30 to 45 days of that date. So you should review that check to make sure that everything's accurate because like I was saying with the replacement cost tools, um, it makes up for appreciation for the house. It's going to gradually, it's going to have more value. So replacement cost tool, like the coverage is going to bump up. So realistically the premium is going to go up. So if you see like, Oh wait, I see this price going up. Why? You know, just ask your insurance agent to make sure, or if you've done updates to the house to make sure that they're adequately covered. So you put in trees, you put in a new fence, you built a garage, whatever have you, it's not going to make so that's not going to account for the replacement cost tool that you did 10 years ago. So just having the communications or, yeah, if you got married, you know, you've got the wedding set, like I was saying before, you only have $2,500 of coverage, but if you got a $5,000 wedding set, it's not going to be properly covered. Because if you have a loss and he steals it, house burns down and you lose the ring, you're only going to get half of that back to the set. So just being open, open communications, making sure that you're talking to your agent, making sure you're talking to people is it's important. Because if it's, if it's important to you, it's definitely important to us to make sure that it's properly covered. Oh, I got another question. I'm full of questions. <laughs> I'm hoping I'm not talking <laughs> <the> questions. <laughs> uh, I was so glad that you all came in together as a set. I know Matt. I've never met these other two gentlemen. Uh, very knowledgeable. and it was, it was a great comprehensive presentation. So that leads me to my question. Um, obviously, you know each other. Do you, is it uh, regular to work with a realtor and an insurer and a mortgage broker all in tandem? Is that a good thing? Are there drawbacks? Like other than you working with all three of you, uh, if we we're going to go find a different, sorry, Matt, insurer, uh, would it be a good idea to work also with somebody who the insurance uh, agent works with as a realtor and as a mortgage broker? As a set, are there pros and cons to that? What's what's your perspective on that? Well, look, I guess we can all give our perspective. Yeah, well, I love working with folks that I know and don't know. But as far as the professionals, like if, if that's my lender, I know his capabilities. I know what he's good at. I know his specialties. So I know fits, and I'm able to recommend. He's able to recommend different products. So I think that continuity in the relationship is a plus. That's my personal opinion. Uh, and I like my licensed contractor. I love it if, if you need a snow guy and you get my snow guy because I know the level of service you're going to get. And I know if that level is ever compromised, we got a relationship to where we can check that person the way we need to check that person or, or the way we check people in Flint. I know we got that <laughs> relationship to where we can hold people accountable. So that's, that's for me personally, that's, I would I recommend it. That's my personal thing. Yeah, I agree. Just piggybacking on what Alvin just said. Yeah, I think it's important to have everybody moving in concert together uh, because working with them, we have a relationship. We kind of know the expectations and the workflow for each other. 
And so it never hurts to be on the same page with the people that you're trying to actually close a home on because Matt's going to know what some of the insurance expectations is. It's going to be easy for me to say, hey, Matt, you know, I've got this borrower that needs policy, but I need it by next week. And maybe some other agent may not be able to produce it that quickly. I need a quote. Can you get it to me by Monday? Matt, because he knows me, he has a relationship. He's going to be able to get that for me pretty quickly. Or Alvin on the other hand, hey, I need this addendum. I need it by Monday because, you know, the underwriter wants to get this in the queue so we can get it going. Can you do that for me? I know Alvin's going to jump on the ball and get that taken care of for me real quickly. And vice versa, they're going to be at me saying, hey, Courtney, get this thing going because, uh, you know, if you have that relationship with uh, the people that you're working with, it's a lot easier to kind of make sure that everybody's moving on the same page. Did on both of those. <laughs> um, you know, our, our businesses are relationship. We're, we're on a referral basis. So we're not going to try to send somebody to you that, like, so again, like Courtney has a lender that needs to get homeowner's insurance as a first-time home buyer. He's not going to try to find an uh, insurer that isn't going to do the job or have, ask the right questions because we have that relationship. We work together. We built that trust. Just like that client has built that, or you or that client has built trust in Courtney or in Al or in me. So I want to keep that rapport and keep that trust going so I can continue to help you out in the future or have future business with you. So I'm definitely going to make sure that I'm going to send you to somebody that is capable and is going to give you the right information. So I definitely, in any case, I would feel like it's a pro. Like if you can ask a professional that you're working with, like, hey, do you have any recommendations of an insurer or a realtor or a lender? And then going off that recommendation, especially if you've built that relationship with that person and you're trusting them in that business. Sorry. No, um, we'll get her and we'll, we'll get her and we'll get you. Um, for inspection, um, who would that be for the realtor? And is it, or is that really, like, is that separate? I know home inspections are like huge. Everyone's like, when I buy a house, you need to get home inspection. Absolutely. Oh, totally. So there's several different inspections. So, I mean, on the realtor side, I mean, I want that inspection because sometimes. <laughs> The addendum, the addendum might require an inspection, or you might have, you may just want to have a roof inspection. So it, it varies. And then the insurance company, they have inspections. I know we have inspections for certain financing that has to go through. But a lot of times for me, that final the inspection I got to get to close, that's that's me. That's me, and I'm, I'm worried about it. I'm actually, you know, you're watching your phone constantly about it. And coming out of an inspection, you get addendum. So I, I'd say... Um, Honestly, the inspectors are on everybody. Yeah. Yep, I would say on everybody. But mine is kind of, no, because every we need everyone to get to the closing line and to the finish line. So all those inspections have to be satisfied like, from different angles. I know people are like, you had a great home That's just, yeah, that's going back to dealing with, if you're dealing with somebody that you trust as a realtor and then them finding somebody that can do the home inspection for you, that's going to take Right, and, and usually you want to get somebody, like you would ask, do you know somebody who do home inspections? Because once again, I want to protect your capital. I want to protect your time too. And there's a lot of people who prey upon folks through the name of, I'm going to do a home inspection for you. And they don't do what side that satisfies me as a realtor, or they don't do enough that satisfies him as the lender, or they may not do enough to satisfy him as the insurance person. So you want to make sure you, you get your home inspection for the job so you can get the closing. Yeah, I mean, it's important from a lender perspective. Home inspections, obviously, I'm sure Alvin can attest to this too. I've seen many borrowers walk away from houses after the initial inspection. Yeah, so 
you might pay that initial investment of 350, 450 bucks for your pass rate on and your general inspection. And you're probably thinking, well, you know, it revealed some really crummy stuff about this house. I'm going to lose this 450 bucks that I paid for the inspection. But you know, that's really small potatoes in the grand scheme of things if a house is really tore up from the floor up, really. So uh, it's a small investment to save you a world of trouble and hurt down the road. And then and with the insurance side, there's an inspection there. So really all three steps have inspections because underwriting is making sure again that there's no holes with no glaring issues with the house and that everything is in line. So you had a question? Um, it's just kind of a basic question. But you said step one was to go to your financial institution. Would that be your bank or would that be what you want to go to for a mortgage? Yeah, I mean good question. So your trusted financial institution. So if you have a banking relationship with ABC Bank, of course, I have to throw a plug in for a stair credit union, but if you have a relationship with them, then yeah, you go and you'll talk to me. We'll talk about where you are. We're not going to jump right into an application. I like to get an assessment or a feel for where you are and what you're looking for, when you're looking to buy, your knowledge level, your comfort level, your assets, and then we can kind of get into the particulars. So or if you have a relationship with the bank, then yeah, you can go in and if mom and dad says, hey, you should go and do business with uh, Chase Bank because they did right by us when we got our mortgage, that happens. So uh, you go in and you talk to your mortgage representative there and kind of find out you know, the best products and services for you. Now, it never hurts to do some comparison shopping. So once they, uh, if you decide they, they're gonna submit an application for your credit, they say, hey, you know what? You're at a 740 score. Uh, this is what we're going to give you. This is your breakdown. Never hurts to say, hey, Courtney, this is what I have. Can I get a second opinion? And I'm not going to pull your credit again. I'm just going to take what you have already pulled from Chase and give you an estimate of where we might come in. So never hurts to get a second opinion. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having us. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, sir. Thank you.